Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks. Thanks for stopping by. What was that ring? Oh, that was a reminder that you should start start your show. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> we'll be taking a good gardening store shortly, but right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your plant material and how cold it is out there, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns? Mr. Kelly, before you take off, mm-hmm. uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. Are you going out to the parade after you get off today? No, I will be going home to watch and listen to the Billikens and the Blues. Oh, Yeah, wow. it's a little cold for a parade today. <laughs> I mean, I'm Irish and all, but <laughs> right. I don't know. That's what I was going to say. Isn't Kelly Irish? you got to go, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the run starts here in about an hour, and the parade is at noon. So if you're heading downtown, did you run into any road closures yet? Always. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. It yeah. was, uh, I, and a couple of those uh, fence gate kind of things that mm-hmm. are like gray or chrome, or they're not chrome, but uh, it's hard to see them. Yeah. Yeah. Because they didn't have signs on them or anything. Oh, great. And we're just putting them up. So Yeah. They've been <laughs> out there. They were out on the ready when I got in and they're out. We've been watching them down the, down the road there, down Market Street, getting everything ready for the parade. So, right. uh yeah, if you're heading downtown, it's going to be tough to get here. And then when you get here, dress warm because it's cold. Very much so. It's yes. The wind between the buildings really. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, I know. Oh. It's like, and, and then it's going to be what? 68 tomorrow. Right. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. Keep, keep your feet and hands in the car, folks, because we're in for a roller coaster ride. <laughs> right. Yes. Thanks, Brian. You bet. Yes, folks, and it is Saturday morning, and we'll have a roundtable discussion about what's going on. Your poor plant material. How about those crocus and daffodil flowers? Is this cold going to have an impact on them? Generally, they're pretty tough, so they shouldn't have much damage, even though it was so cold this morning. When I saw it, it felt like minus 17 or some kind of crazy number. When I first got up, it was like, holy moly. And uh, how about uh, what else is going on in your uh, landscape world or house plants or tropicals or potting soils or improvements or pruning or shearing or whatever it happens to be? Uh, the information I share with you and uh, will hopefully make it a little bit more or solidify your options because there are plenty of different directions to go and uh, this might help you a little bit. So final judgment of the action you're going to take is going to be on your shoulders, of course. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. 
Another very important player is James. He's producing, so when you call, he will ask uh, only for your first name, and uh, that's pretty much it. And then he'll get it online, and then it'll come up on the screen, and I can talk to you about whatever is impacting you. But he doesn't need to know what's impacting you. I'll just hear it when I ask you. I'm Mike Miller. been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I can come to your home and do landscape consultations. If you'd like for me to do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Oh, one thing, though, (laughs) I was supposed to have a walk and talk this morning after the show in Wentzville. But uh, with this temperature and stuff like that, and I've got a couple other things going on, I emailed them and said, is it okay if we do it next Saturday instead of this Saturday? And they said, sure, that works out fine. But anyway, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Ah, Laclede Station Road, Rannells, and Circle Drive. This is in Maplewood, and it's Kellogg Park Community Garden. There's a Kellogg Park, and the Community Gardens is kind of on the east side of the park. And uh, there's a sign there that says, Plantings maintained by individual members. You're welcome to look, but please don't pick. And uh, there's, as you just kind of, you go down this hill and head into the the community garden and the park area, there's uh, quite a few, there's several, let's put it that way, uh, fruit trees that have been pruned correctly. So in other words, they look like upside down umbrellas. There's a variety of raised beds, and uh, each with a different characteristic. It's kind of neat. And there's a pair of massive sweet gum trees just up the hill. So the um, the unbelievable amount of sweet gum balls, not in the bed spaces, but all surrounding them is kind of crazy and nuts. And uh, there's benches and compost piles and a large pile of recently cleaned debris from the bed spaces. There's various types of ground, uh, garden plant-related things. There's uh, everything from peony rings to watering cans to metal posts to trellises. And also, planting-wise, there's maturing grapevines, raspberry plants. And somebody's recently spread some bark chips in between the bed spaces, so it makes it a little bit easier to walk. And there's still some more that needs to be spread. Uh, there's a brick edger on some of the edge on some of the beds and some stepping stones there too. The fall perennials are still standing tall with their winter color, of course. And tags from last year's plants include King Arthur peppers, as an example. The classic they have the classic, uh, not really technically part of this uh, community garden, but part of the park, where uh, one of those little library boxes up on a post where people can drop off books or you'll take a book if you'd like, if you see something that's there. But one thing that's really unusual and unique that I've never really seen at any other community garden is they have a seed library. So in other words, if you have excessive seeds for, let's say, castor bean plants or hyacinth bean vines or whatever it happens to be, and uh, you could just put them in an envelope and stick them in this little box, and then you're sharing with people that way. At the, uh, there's all sorts of ornamental grasses edging, and they've been cut back. No, they haven't been cut back yet. But uh, they're all, the whole garden space and everything else is waiting for warmer weather. And certainly it wasn't warmer today. 
but I am certainly waiting for it, which will be tomorrow. So anyway, that's a good gardening stroll brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Trusted information, live and local. From the award-winning KMOX Newsroom. Yes, folks, we have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As we look out the window now, we can see where it's all set up as far as uh, the vendors and everything else for the parade. And who knows what else is going on? I guess there's a race. Who very well could be? Boy, oh, boy, I can see the... uh, we're right behind the Soldiers Memorial, and we can look at some of the flags. The Missouri flag, it is really whipping, so... It is going to be cold for everybody that's you know down here as a vendor or down here in the parade or watching the parade. There's people already starting to arrive. So just realize that it is going to be chilly. There's no getting around it. And this is for St. Patrick's Day, which is this Friday. And as I sit in here in the studio, we've got some leprechauns and stuff hanging on the wall. And... Uh, you know, we always think of, you know, the Irish or shamrocks and clovers and things like that related to St. Patrick's Day. Well, here's an option to having, let's say, some of the clovers in your landscape because a lot of times we don't like those clovers because they're not the sh- true shamrocks and consequently the ones we buy and just kind of keep as a, a house plan for a short period of time. But there is an annual plant called Bells of Ireland, and it's in the mint family, and it blooms for an extended period of time uh, from July to September. And it's fragrant, tiny white flowers that are surrounded by a bell-shaped emerald green calyx. And uh, many of the bells are tightly arranged, so it really kind of creates a floral stem. And the Bells of Ireland perform best in a part shade. So in other words, early morning sun is fine, but uh, no afternoon sun at all and well-drained soil 
and uh, moderate watering during the dry periods only. So don't overwater it. They're attractive border plants, and especially, you know, to edge of garden space or something like that. You want to place them about uh, 10 to 12, you know, inches apart. The plants grow two to three feet tall. So it's really, I mean, this is an annual that grows that much, and they might require some staking. So in other words, to support it, especially if it's, a you know, in a windy location. And when the bells of Ireland flower, the stalks, you just leave them. Because often they can drop seeds and self-seed. So they potentially can be a self-seeding annual like the sweet alyssum is. And the triangular-shaped seeds can be, left, you know, can be left to scatter on the soil or just collected and used for the, you know, in a specific location. Pests are really not really a problem for the bells of Ireland. And the plants are really not favored by rabbits or deer. So if you're looking for something as an alternative to the classic, uh, you know, shamrocks, well, the Bells of Ireland is an annual plant that you might consider for your landscape. Let's head over to James' yard. James, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing okay, Mike. Love your show. Well, thank you. Uh, is now a good time to put down that pre-emergent that you'd be talking about? Are you talking about the pre-emergent? Yeah. Is now a good time? Well, if you've got, in my neighborhood, I was just going to talk about that during uh, you know the next break. Uh, in my neighborhood, there's forsythia in bloom. So uh, Tim, who lives just up the street from me, he's got a forsythia. So it is in flower now. So technically, that is a time when you want to put the pre-emergent down. So if you have a soil thermometer, it's when you get your soil temperature gets above or at 50 degrees at least a couple days in a row or if you have a forsythia that's blooming close by. So that's the time when you put the pre-emergence down. Okay. Okay. Hey, thanks, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, it's a, and the timing is crucial with that because already if you wait too long, if the seeds have already germinated, then the pre-emergent doesn't do any. I mean, it will help with some of the seeds that haven't germinated, but the ones that have already have germinated... A pre-emergent doesn't do anything at all to them. So that's, you know, you have to be really conscious of that fact. So the timing is really crucial. So, uh, and as far as which one to use, uh, head to your favorite garden center, see what type they have, and uh, trust them if it's a year-round garden center, not just, a, you know, a seasonal type one to give you the best, you know, option that they have. And now let's head over to Tim uh, Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hello, Tom. I don't hear him. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I've got a Japanese maple that's okay. in my front bay window, and it's totally gotten out of control. It's about 10 years old. Can I still prune that back now? And if so, how much? Or should I have it professionally done? Uh, it's up to you. Is it an upright one, or is it one that looks like an umbrella? Well, sort of like, well, it's probably... Uh, well, let's put it this way. How tall is it? Yeah, I was just going to say it's probably right now, it's probably about 10 feet or so tall, but it's spread. Yeah, so that's probably, that's, you know, not the, let's say the, the specific type that's, uh, you know, looks like the umbrella. So you can prune it yourself. I mean, selectively prune, or you can have a professional do it like, a, you know, Timberline Tree Service. They can come out and, you know, do 
you know, species-type pruning on specific-type trees like that, as well as other type trees. But uh, you can do it yourself. And with the Japanese, with the maples just in general, they really prefer to be pruned in the summertime versus the wintertime. But you can go ahead and go and prune them before any of the new growth begins. So, right. in other words, before the buds open up and the leaves start coming out. Okay, and then how far back would you say? I would say if you cut more than like a... You say it's 10 feet high. I would say yeah. I would not cut more than, you know, two feet off of it. And just realize that depending upon the variety, which you may not know, uh, mm-hmm. they get they can get a lot bigger than what that is. So the, uh, whoever place, planted it in that location <laughs> maybe didn't realize how big it was going to get. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And speaking of uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120, we've got phone lines open. And in my own landscape, I've got crocus blooming, which is really kind of neat. Uh, my house, Most of the planting that I have is on the north side of my house uh, as far as and on the west, too. And, well, there's some on the east. But anyway, uh, on the north side, they're really slow. And finally, I'm starting to see... You know, I always plant uh, pots with tulip bulbs that I get from Operation Brightside or Brightside St. Louis. And uh, now I'm starting to see them coming up in the pots. I was a little bit worried about it because we had that really harsh cold spell. I thought, oh, gosh, I hope the bulbs didn't freeze. But every one of my pots, I have about eight or nine or so. They're all pushing growth where you can start to see, uh, you know, the leaves, you know, breaking the surface of the potting mix that I have inside the pots. And then also another thing that's blooming in my in our neighborhood when I walk around I saw is witch hazel. And I always think of witch hazel. It always sends me back to the botanical garden when I worked in the English woodland garden because the witch hazel actually bloomed before anything else did. So it's really kind of a neat shrub. It's a shrub, you know, large shrub, let's put it that way. There are some dwarf varieties, but for the most part they're not. And the one that I'm talking about that's in my neighborhood that uh, – it's probably like maybe 15 feet high, so it is really an old, mature plant. So witch hazel in bloom, and then, like I said, the forsythia right up the street from me in bloom. So let's head now over to Mike Shard. Hi, Mike. How are you? Oh, fine, thanks. Uh, just about 50 years ago, my wife came home with a little tree from Central Hardware. It was a sweet gum tree, okay? Whoa. So I planted it. <laughs> well, I mean, it was so small she could bring it in the small car. <clears throat> so I planted it in the front of the house and the yard, and now it's a 50-year-old sweet gum tree, and it's beautiful. However, it has a few problems, but I can't, if I get rid of it, it completely it provides so much shade and so forth. But I have in the trunk, there is a uh, opening that is probably three or four feet high and a little bit wide that goes into the middle, and the person told me it wasn't a problem, but I look at that and I kind of, uh, is that something that I have to really be concerned about or what do you recommend? Well, uh, you really, there's, you know, I mean, it certainly is somewhat of a concern, but if, as long as a tree looks healthy as far as foliage-wise and everything else, a tree of that age is kind of like people that are X amount of years old. You know, you start to get wrinkles and things like that, and this is, this is what's really happening with that. Now, there's something called the cambium layer, so there should be kind of a, a lighter brown without texture roll that sh- could be closing in on that. And if, you know, if not, 
If you start to see some major branches die off, then the tree's going to have to come out for sure. But uh, as long yeah, as it's, it's overall uh, healthy, and uh, this year it seems like the, the sweet gums were prolific as the amount of sweet gum balls that have been dropped everywhere. So I don't know if you. Amen, <laughs> amen, amen. It has, it has. Believe me, um, lots of gum balls. I have some sweet gum trees in the back too. But they grew straight up because they're kind of uh, inhibited by some other trees. Uh-huh. And they aren't bad. They have a lot bigger balls, but they're out where it's not a problem. This thing has a lot of huge balls. They aren't as big as some years. Now, right. I don't know whether that is any indication, but it sure does have the have those things, believe me. Uh, yeah, that's uh, You know that. Yeah, so Okay, I, well, thanks. Yeah, I wouldn't oh, overly worry, and don't try to cram anything in there. A lot of times that causes more problems than good. Just let it air circulate, and uh, the tree will tell you when it's in pro, you know, it's headed downhill because it'll stop, you know, start losing branches, and that's, you know, I mean, they won't necessarily fall, but they'll stop leafing out. And when you start to see that, then I'd have a tree service come out and really consider taking the tree down. That's the part that's scary if they lose their branch that falls onto the house or something. Right, you know? but they're not going to snap so, off like that that quick. I mean, they're going to they're going to have one season where that particular branch is in trouble because of the vascular system. The veins have been interrupted by that split that you're talking about. Uh, it's not sending any kind of uh, nutrients up there, and then it won't have any leaves for one year. Then that's when you can have that branch cut uh, off. And that okay, way, thank you so much. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, may it live longer than I do. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hey, guys, Kevin Wheeler here. Join me weeknights at 6 o'clock. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. For Sports Open Line. We'll cover everything from the Cardinals to the Blues to the local colleges, the national scene, you name it. We've got it covered and we'll have it for you here on Sports Open Line weeknights at 6 o'clock on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Yes, folks, let's head over to Barb's yard and see what's going on. Hi, Barb. Hi, Mike. Hi. How are you doing today? Very good. Cold, but. Yeah. I believe you're right on that. I was really chilly when I took the dog out this morning. <laughs> but I wish something else would get really chilly. What do you know about how to get rid of or deter armadillos? Ooh. There's not too much you can do, to be honest with you. They've, you know, since they've started to migrate up this far, basically using professional services with traps, that's about uh, the only thing that seems to work. And then that's going to be somewhat iffy in, in and of itself. 
Well, because I know I I had done a little research online, and they were there's some stuff that's made out there that's like a evidently like a pellet or a granular that you can put down in your yard. It supposedly makes it a deterrent to where they don't like the smell, and they so they don't root around. Right. But I got mounds all over my yard. Now, are these just small dirt mounds you're talking about? They're large dirt mounds. I've battled moles. I live backing to common ground woods. Oh, okay. So I get a lot of stuff from time to time. I mean, you know, the deer, the raccoons, I mean, what have you. Skunks. Um, and it normally doesn't bother me. And I've had the moles before. And um, they do the mounds, too, but they're, they're nowhere near the size. Oh. These are huge. I mean, you know, I mean, much bigger animal. Wow. Yeah, because, you know, I don't think, I mean, armadillos really rut. They don't really, you know, dig and you know, make mounds of stuff. So I'm not exactly sure what that would be. Because they're all, they're, they're, uh, I live out in Wentzville, uh-huh. and you see them, these mounds, in all kinds of yards. Like if you drive down the, you know, the two-lane roads and stuff, it's where there's not a subdivision, so to speak. It's more acreage, you know, to where people are sitting on, you know, two or three acres easy. Right. You see a lot of the yards and the parks. I've got them. I see them in the parks hmm. um, where I walk my dog and stuff. And they are. They're just like they're what they are at my house. They are big mounds of dirt. <laughs> um, and I've looked at them. I don't see an opening anywhere in them. It's just pushed up. Yeah. So it's got to be something from underneath the ground. And, uh, you know, Armadillos, I don't think, are really going to... I mean, I guess they could be doing that, but what I do is... But I I've would, actually seen the armadillos in my yard. Right. But, I mean, as far as the, making those mounds, I don't think that's, you know, that that's not their kind of style. They they kind of live where there's already been, a let's say, a tunnel or something that they can just not have to dig out themselves. Right. Well, like I said, I've had moles. Right. And that's what I first thought this was. And so I set my mole trap. Right. And then that didn't do any good, and then I'm seeing more of them. And so, you know, it could be that maybe they're in an old mole run, and it's not quite big enough, and they have to push out more dirt. That could certainly be. I would maybe try to call the uh, Winsfield Park Department and see what they're thinking that it might be. Okay. And that would be—and then also you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website— and, you know, put in large mounds of dirt and see what they say about it, too. Okay. I appreciate the info. Sure. My Thank pleasure. And now let's head over to Ted's yard. Hi, Ted. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Hey, um, my parents had a crepe myrtle, and every time about this year, I would cut it down to the ground with a chainsaw, and it would grow back 8 to 10 feet by the course of the summer being over. Is that pretty typical for all crepe myrtles, or is that just a, that variety that they had, possibly, or what do you recommend? Yeah, I mean, for to cut it all the way to the ground and for it to get 8 to 10 feet high within one growing season, that seems a bit extreme. So I don't know what particular variety that was, but that's not going to be the classic circumstance. Okay, so when would I cut them back, and how far do I cut them back? Well, any of the summer bloomers, you can cut all the way up until, you know, you start to see any kind of new growth. And then, you know, as far as the amount, I never like to cut more than, like, you know, 20 or 25% off on something like that. So uh, 
that would be as much as I would do. To cut it to the ground, I'd be really worried about recovery. Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, it would. they had a two-story, uh, second-story uh, patio, and it would grow and shield them from the yard. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was an uh, incredible plant. And I actually took some shoots off of it and have it in the in the yard in some areas. But, uh, okay, I'll just uh, keep track of that and uh, appreciate your time and appreciate your show. Right. And, again, anything that blooms in the summer, you got basically the flowering occurs. You know, flower buds are set on new wood, so, in other words, new growth. So you can cut all the way up until you start to see some new growth starting. And then after that point, then you got to be really cautious about it. Where like okay. uh, spring bloomers, they basically their flower buds are set on old wood. So in other words, the previous season where the the summer bloomers like butterfly bushes, crepe myrtles, and things along that line, Rosa Sharon, uh, that's basically set in the in the springtime when they're really pushing out the you know, foliage and everything else. Okay, I appreciate your help. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to, let's see, where should we go? How about over to Richard's yard? Hi, Richard. Hey, Mike. Um, I've got a soaker hose. Should I uh, um, bury that beneath the, uh, the compost or, or let it sit on the surface? How close to a plant? How long should I leave it on? That kind of thing. Well, every individual plant, whether it be lawn or whether it be an individual shrub or whether it be an herb garden, whatever it happens to be, the amount of water is going to be somewhat different. But you don't have to put that underneath anything. You can just, you know, leave it on the surface of the ground. And uh, depending upon what the circumstance is, I have a couple soaker hoses myself. I kind of weave them back and forth and, uh, you know, kind of like a snake type thing. And then I just, you know... If I have to adjust them during the the time that I'm uh, have the soaker hose on, then I do a little bit of adjustment just with my hand picking up and moving it to make sure that the area is getting uh, equally moisturized as for, as versus like having one area that's really wet and soaky, and then another area that's not that far away that hasn't gotten any moisture yet at all. Okay, so. Uh, once again, you do not put the compost on top of it, right? No, you don't, no, you don't need to. Um, and ju- just generally, how long do you leave the soaker hoses on? Uh, usually, you know, for a lawn area, I probably run them for about an hour, you know, once a week. And for a garden, other garden spaces, it depends upon what the individual garden space is. And uh, that's usually a little bit less than that, you know, any, any place between a half hour to an hour, but I usually don't leave them in one location for more than an hour. Okay. Until we get to the heat, if it's extended dry periods in the summertime, then, you know, that's going to change it. But I'm just talking about kind of the rule of thumb without the extreme dry summer times. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to uh, Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hey, I did uh, some uh, reseeding last fall in uh, mid to late November. Can I still put on that pre-emergence uh, stuff now? Uh, as long as the seed has germinated, you know, you should be fine. So if you haven't, you know, then if it's, you know, you still, you know, have seed that you, 
you know, you know from the quantity you put down, there should be more grass blades coming up. And so if there's some that haven't germinated, then this, you know, the pre-emergence is going to cause a problem. And to be honest with you, if you did this in November, it's still going to be a little bit weak as far as strength, root system going into the ground. And uh-huh. I'd, I'd kind of stay away from putting the pre-emergent down, to be honest. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, if you could do it, but uh, it could do some damage because, like I said, even though the seed is, you know, in November, I don't know how much of it was going to germinate and how well that root system penetrated into the ground and any kind of herbicide at all, pre-emergent or post-emergent, could cause problems. So, like even a broadleaf weed killer, trying to kill the broadleaf weeds in a lawn area that's uh, recently germinated, like uh, two months ago or three months ago, it uh, could do some damage. So anyway, great, Paul. Thanks a lot. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, even though it's really, really cold today, you've probably, if you have planted any spring flowering bulbs, you're going to see the foliage coming up real soon if it hasn't started. This is a time of year when you do want to fertilize your spring flowering bulbs. So as soon as the foliage starts coming, and you know, myself, I the granular fertilizer is fine, but if you use the granular stuff, you should water it right afterwards. So if any of it lands on the leaves as they're coming up, it doesn't burn holes in the foliage and things along that line. So I just, you know, I prefer one that's uh, you just mix up in water and then you're doing the same thing, only it's just all at once rather than having to spread the uh, granular stuff and then coming out with a hose and trying to wash it off everything else and, and start it to dissolve too. So let's now head over to Betty's yard. Hi, Betty. Well, hi, Mike. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Uh, two topics. Uh, the lady that called in about the giant mounds of dirt right. in her yard, um, my best guess, and I'm pretty positive on this, is she's probably got groundhogs. Oh. They, they may, they're a large animal, you know. They're bigger right. than a cat, uh, certainly, a large cat. Um, they're quite sturdy. They're quite thick. They're a big animal. Yep. And they will make a uh, series of small volcanoes in in a yard. (laughs) And uh, in this region, uh, they're very prolific and they're very secretive. You know, you really don't see them out that often because they do burrow down. Right. And uh, they'll they'll get next to a person's foundation and um, really make problems, but that would be, I think, what she has rather than large moles or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even <laughs> think of the groundhogs, but you're absolutely right because uh, we live across the street from a park uh, you yeah. know, here in the city, and there used to be groundhogs there, so I should have thought of the groundhogs, but thank oh, you very no. much. You bet. And then a question. I received a, a little pot of miniature miniature roses, you know, that you, you can get them in the grocery store at all. And there's usually three or four little tiny plants in the little pot. And in the past, I've, I've carefully tried to keep them alive till I could take them outside here right. in the spring. And I've put them into a little larger pot because I was a little hesitant to plant them out just directly in the soil. But usually about July or so, they die. 
And so <laughs> I was wondering, what is there a, a secret on these miniature roses that they take a little extra care, protection, or what? No, but it depends upon the variety. The most of the varieties, I mean, if you go to the botanical garden and the rose garden, you'll see this, you know, the small roses there. There's a prolific number of varieties that, you know, grow along with, they don't grow, let's say, next to the granite floors or the floor abundance or something. They're kind of off separate, but, uh, you know, just the rose food, a well-prepared, well-drained soil, and full sun, and that's pretty much all they need. Okay. I mean, these little things look like they probably don't get higher than maybe... Oh, 15 inches or so. Right, and exactly. Little flowers. Yeah, right. their little flowers are tiny, like the size of your thumb. Right. So, okay, well, I'll, I'll give it another try then and see if I can get them to survive. Yeah, but, I mean, just make sure the soil is really highly organic. And, okay. uh, you, I mean, there is, you know, you can go to the website for the Botanical Garden and check that out. Check them, you know. But also the Rose Society. I mean, if you're really interested in trying to get this to happen, you could go mm-hmm. to, a, you know, they meet once a month. They meet at the Botanical Garden, and you could just talk to some of the people there uh, as far okay. as taking care of the miniature roses. Oh, super, super. Well, love the show. It's the best one on Camel X, <laughs> let me tell you. And hope you have a great springtime. <laughs> me too. And same to you as well. And thanks for the groundhog advice. I greatly appreciate <laughs> and, that. And she'll probably need a professional trapper because those things are, are really nasty. Right. <laughs> All righty. Thanks so much, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, we had one groundhog that was living in the park, and I guess he might have gotten trapped by the city or something like that. And then uh, we're kind of close to, let's say, the River de Pere, and there's a lot of tributaries that run down into the you know River de Pere, and there used to be a lot more groundhogs living along there that I'd see a lot. And uh you know, I guess they've all been trapped off or, you know, captured or whatever it happens to be. So thanks a lot, but I greatly appreciate it. And other things that you might be thinking about is just, uh, you know, take a look. Again, going back to the pre-emergent, uh, don't put it down too early because it's, not, you know. So in other words, this is getting close to the time when you're probably going to have the forsythia blooming in your neighborhood, as I said before. Tim, just up the street, he's got a forsythia that's blooming right now. So that means my neighborhood. But just if you don't know what the forsythia looks like or there's no forsythia in your neighborhood, go to your favorite garden center and just get a a soil thermometer. If you're serious about getting these weeds under control using a pre-emergent and just start, I mean, all you have to do is stick it into the ground and leave it according to the label, and then that will tell you what the soil temperature is right then, and that will, you know, a couple days of the same temperatures, over 50 degrees, that would, you know, be the time when you want to put the pre-emergent down because the pre-emergent is going to take care of, you know, the problems with the warm season grasses, warm season annual weeds, which includes spurge, ragweed, purslane, knotweed, lamb's quarter, uh, carpet weed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, and even some of the violets. So, I mean, those are the kind of things that the pre-emergent really helps get under control by killing the seeds as they germinate. Once the seeds have germinated, the pre-emergent doesn't do any good at all. So that's something to be really, you know, conscious of. Timing is really crucial. If you don't get it down at the right time, 
you're better off not to do it at all. And other things, uh, chemical-wise, that you may have stored in your garage over the wintertime, check the granular stuff to make sure it hasn't gotten humid and big lump and the liquid stuff is not frozen. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. We'll be back after the news. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, and I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can give a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas like those big piles of dirt being the groundhog that I didn't even think of. But one of the callers did. Thank you very much. Are your questions, concerns, or comments? And Mr. Kelly, mm-hmm. you know, the other day, this past probably two or three days ago, they said uh, the amount of snow we were going to get was going to be one to three inches. Mm-hmm. We got maybe a dusting at the most. Now, did you guys get snow over? That's about what we got down oh. south. Now, here, there was a, a, a little more than a dusting, I would say, downtown. And really? to the north, I saw, well, Columbia, Missouri had like six inches. Yeah, and Kansas so. City had quite a bit, too. That was yeah. really surprising. So. We got really lucky. Interesting yeah. thing was it was a dusting on cars and lawns and things like that, but nothing on the sidewalks or streets at all. It was kind of amazing. Yeah, it was it was kind of nice, yeah, actually. Right. It was, you know, you when I came in, panic. it was just starting to snow a little bit, so the drive-in was okay, and then it, it never got that bad here. Now, to the north, they got some, so right. they'll still be digging out in some places. I know when I lived in Kansas City for a long time, it, it seemed like we, you know, they always got more snow and ice than St. Louis did. Right. And I think it's the arch. <laughs> controls Very the weather. Well. It's a big weather vane. Very well yeah. can be. Great. Yeah. Well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Brian. You bet. Yes, folks. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for ups and downs and all of our annuals. I've gone by a couple garden centers and I'm not seeing the pansies yet, so it might be a little bit premature, but I would thought I always thought like of very early March, but every year is going to be a little bit different. Your bulbs, your daffodils and tulips and things like that that are outside growing, you should be fertilizing them. And maybe checking your summer bulbs, too, just to make sure they haven't rotted or anything. So your uh, cannas and your elephant ears and things along that line. Your edibles, your cool season vegetables, you know, the lettuces and spinach and things like that. Ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path that you can take to have success. And I strictly offer them to you to consider. Across the big board is James. He's producing, so when you call in, he'll answer the phone, and all he needs from you is your first name. I spend time uh, during the week and on weekends, too, uh, doing landscape consulting, walk and talks at your home, where I address concerns that you have and also when we're walking around, uh, taking a look at things that maybe you haven't considered that are impacting your landscape. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email and phone number. You can contact me. And today, as I said in the first hour, I was supposed to, after the show, head out to Winsville, but I whipped out. It was too. It was going to be too cold. But anyway, so we're going to go next. I'm going to head out to their home next Saturday instead of 
this Saturday. Talk about the trials of special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Again, I'm going to give a tip of the trial. When I walk around through the neighborhood early in the morning and then later in the day is my longer walk, uh, it's just it's really nice to see how many people do plant you know the spring flowering bulbs. And it's such a relief to see them because I'm really getting tired of, you know, deciduous trees, which is all part of the landscape, part of the scenario and everything else. But to see some color on the ground, that is just absolutely fantastic. So a tip of the trial goes out again to all those folks historically or even just last fall planted those crocus or their daffodils. Now, I haven't seen any hyacinths yet. Hyacinths are really not really reliably hardy for the long term here, but uh, they're a little bit later, and I actually don't have any hyacinths myself. I mainly have crocus, tulips, and daffodils, and the majority, not all, but the majority of mine I grow in pots, and it's nice to see them coming up, and if you've got uh, foliage showing from your spring flowering bulbs, this is the time of year when you want to do some fertilizing with that, so Again, the tip of the trowel is a special recognition, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Why don't we take a couple calls before we go to break? Let's go over to Judy's yard. Hi, Judy. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. I have a question. Uh, I'm thinking about the gardens, uh, flower garden in the summer, the weeds. Uh, we've always had problems with a particular weed coming back, and I'd like to try to control it or try before it takes over the garden. And it's called chameleon. Are you familiar with that? Camellia vine? Yes. It's, yeah. a, it's the invasive weed type thing with a very long roots. Does it sound familiar to you? Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's, I mean, it's a difficult one once you have it in, you know, in place. So best thing to do is, to get, you know, if you're not opposed to using Roundup, is as soon as you start to see it show up, go out with Roundup and paint it right onto the foliage. Okay, and then that should take care of it down to the root? Right. Roundup goes down through the, the foliage into the stems and then kills all the way into the root system. So just do individually... Use a paintbrush and paint paint the roundup. Right, on. that's easier than trying to because I mean spraying is okay if you have nothing that you're concerned that's growing in close proximity, but this way you know right where it's going and it works very good, okay. or very well. We've been trying to dig it up and it just it's very yeah. hard to yeah <laughs> with a long route. Okay, well thank you for the info. I appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Dee Dee's yard. Hi, Dee Dee. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a butterfly bush that I'd like to transplant, and I did prune it about two weeks ago. Um, could I dig it up next week and put it in a container to grow as a container plant? Uh, probably can. It's, uh, you know, as far as digging it up, that's fine. Just make sure the, you know, the container that you get, I don't know how big it is, how big the root system is going to be, but just make sure that uh, you get the root system probably at least uh, 12 inches or 12 to 15 inches in diameter and about 12 inches deep, and then put it into a pot that's a little bit larger than that. Okay. 
All and, right. And then in full sun for sure. And, you know, with that gray foliage, any kind of shrub that has a, a gray foliage circumstance means you don't, you got to watch out as far as the amount of water that you put on it. They want to be on the dry side as opposed to overly damp. Oh, okay. And then if if maybe if I transplant it elsewhere in the ground, it would, about what time of the year could I do that? Right now. Basically, right now. before, again, before any kind of growth begins on the stems, any kind of leaves start coming out or anything, do it at that time. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And let's go over and see what's going on with Kate. Hi, Kate. Hi, Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I moved into my house about four years ago, and I have nine 20-foot pine trees in my backyard that I'm sure the original owners had planted for privacy. Mm-hmm. And um, I've noticed over the over the couple of past years that the bottom portions that created all the privacy are now getting lanky, and the branches are turning brown, and... Um, they're planted fairly close together. Right. And last year I found a drip system back there buried. So I thought, I thought to myself, well, I guess I, I should water them. So um, I hadn't um, before. And I'm not quite sure what I can do to help the trees um, stay healthy and to keep the, um, the foliage of the evergreen um, healthy enough to be able to maintain the privacy. Uh, basically, it's too late. I mean, they're, they're oh. too, in close proximity. If you go into a pine forest, they're going to be long, tall trunks with just needles at the top. And that's because of the right. proximity, the shading factor, and other things as well. And there's really not too much you can do about that as far as those go. Now, what you can do is I don't know how much space you have, but in between each individual, let's say, pine tree, just let them go. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But you could start planting maybe some spreading-type yews. They're only going to get about 6 to 8 feet high, but they're going to stay dense, and they're going to be able to handle the shade, and they're going to be able to handle probably the competition with the pine tree root systems and things along that line. Okay, so yews, you said? Yeah, Y-E-W. And then okay. you want to get the probably Densiformis is going to be the, the toughest, biggest, you know, size that you want to use. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Sure. So it's Taxus, T-A-X-U-S is a, a, the genus, and then Densiformis is the species type. So, and just, you know, kind of zigzag them in. Don't just plant them in a straight line because that's going to help their root systems get established as well. So thanks, Kate. And Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Brad's yard. Brad, how are you? Hi, Mike. Good. How about you? Very good. I had a question. Every year I try to plant uh, squash, zucchini squash, and I have these bugs that come in and take them out. I think they're called squash bugs, but I'm not sure. Um, Is there a way to get rid of them? Uh, For the most part... Yeah, I mean, there are, it's a difficult circumstance. And so have you skipped a year of planting the squash? Uh, yes. Oh, but so you plant cucumbers, and I think they will do the same thing to cucumbers. Yeah, they will. So I would, you know, one of the ways you can go about doing it is going ahead and uh, just skip one year of anything that's, you know, 
related to the cucumber squash and see if they can, you know, will migrate away from your landscape. And that would be, you know, probably the best thing you can do. Other than that, there's not too much other than going after them, probably as you've done before with, uh, you know, insecticidal soaps or neem oil or something along that line. But they're, they're ferocious for sure. Yes, they are. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to Randy's yard. Hi, Randy. Uh, Mr. Miller. Yes. Uh, we have uh, uh, four hibiscus plants that when they're blooming, they're just beautiful. But my wife and I have a disagreement. I think in the fall, after all the foliage falls and everything, we got these, I, I believe they're dead brown sticks sticking up and I want to cut them off and she says no no they're going to be alive and and okay next spring and uh, but it's hard to clean up around them with them things sticking up and (laughs) I want to cut them off and we we have a feud Mr. Miller a feud I tell you (laughs) (laughs) now and when can I cut them or should I just forget it and just Say, I'm sorry, honey, you win, I lose. <laughs> now, are these like the disco bells, one that have the huge flowers, like nine inches across, or are they the one of the varieties that have a smaller, you know, smaller they're not, flower? They're, 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 big, they're big blooms. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, they like moisture, they like everything, and, the, and what happens with them, what you're seeing, is they're colonizers. So, in other words, they will continue to grow, 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 putting out new stems at the base. So I probably if I was you, I would say just the heck with it and just enjoy them, and that's just what they're going to do. You can cut them off, but ultimately what could happen is if you stop any kind of new growth from coming, the older stems will get to the point where they get older, and then they may not put out any kind of flower buds, and then you're going to not have any flowers. You're just going to have the plant, the leaf, and things along that line. So that's what you have to be cautious about. So they're not dead, those brown things. No, they're not. And well, if you, in the springtime, <laughs> when the new leaves start coming out, any of them that don't that are not producing any leaves, you can cut those off at that time. Try to guess or anticipate ahead of time. You're probably you know potentially causing more problems than good. Well, thank you. I'm not happy with your answer, but thank you. <laughs> Well, Goodbye. hopefully she's not listening. You can tell her whatever you want. She She's making a face at me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, thanks, Randy. And now let's go and see what's going on with Owen. Owen, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a, um, an autumn blaze maple. The trunk's about three inches in diameter. Uh-huh. And last fall, the deer decided they wanted to use that as a scrape. So, it, so I put some of that... Uh, that corrugated plastic over the trunk. Right. And that pretty much protected it, but can I leave that on all year or should I take it off and then put it back on in the fall? No, you can leave it around, you know, just so the trunk, uh, there's a space between the corrugated plastic and the actual trunk. You don't want it to be, to be touching each other. Okay. Yeah, it's about a five-inch diameter okay. on that on that pipe, so I've got a little while to go yet. Right, and then okay. also any of the thing, you know, any of the areas that the deer's scraping, any loose bark, you know, get a razor blade knife and cut any of that loose stuff off. But other than that, you can leave it, you know, year round. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Yes, my pleasure. And now let's go into Grady's yard. Hi, Grady. 
Hi. Hi. I have two quick questions. I want to plant some sweet alyssum in some clay pots, and I want to know what kind of soil to put in the clay pot. Basically, potting mix. So I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Potting mix. Mix. Not, yeah, not potting soil. Potting soil is too dense. Holds too much moisture. The sweet alyssum likes a you know a well drained soil circumstance, so that's the best thing to do is potting mix. So it should have the word mix on it. Yes. One other slight question: I want to attract some monarch butterflies, and what would be a good plant to plant to attract them? Uh, pretty much anything that's in bloom, to be honest with you. So any of the annuals. With, uh, I mean, there are certain ones that are butterfly plants and this and that, but, uh, you know, a marigold-type thing with big, you know, or dahlias or something along that line, that's probably what I'd look at. Marigold. Yeah. That whole group of just, you know, annual sunflower plants. So not just marigolds is just an example of one of the things. I mean, there's some, there's some perennial types, but uh, you want, and don't expect a whole lot the first year. You know, it's going to take a long time before you're going to start to get, you know, let's say that if you don't have any kind of monarchs, which you probably do, I would think, uh, you know, later in the summer and early in the fall. Yeah, but, they uh, start coming in in September. Right, exactly, when they're yep. migratory. But yep. anything, you know, anything with the sunflower, with a big cluster of flowers, that's probably the better ones to do. I thank you so much. Sure, I appreciate pleasure. your program. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Goodbye. Bye. And now let's go over to Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hello. Hi. <clears throat> Hi. I've got a problem with um, barberry. We have three of them. They're quite old. Um, they're too tall. I'd like to cut them back. A landscaper told us that we could cut them back quite a bit. Is that true? Uh, depends on how tall they are quite a bit. If you cut them down too low, what happens is the stems that remain are bigger and they may not have any kind of, I'm assuming we, you know, they're the crimson Kings or yeah. you know, one uh-huh. of the, the maroon ones, but there may not be any leaf buds that are functional still on the stems that are older and bigger and, you know, closer down to the ground. So I would say rather than cutting it severely in one big chop, Maybe, I don't know how big they are, but maybe cut a foot off and then do that for and see what you think. And then maybe next year cut another foot off, but don't do it all at once. Don't cut them severely at one time. I just don't like to do that at all. And what about if they have a a thick, like, center where they were planted and they've grown? Can I cut that off if it's not doing anything? Yeah, you mean so it's not pushing out any kind of leaves or anything? Right. Yeah, right. I would it's, it's, yeah cut. You can cut that as low as you possibly can, but okay. uh, just make sure that you watch out and don't damage some of the other stems that are coming up because it is a colonizing grower uh, okay. when you're cutting off the big one. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, K M R S Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Want to know what's going on with the Cardinals, Billikens, and everything else in the world of sports? Then you need sports on a Sunday morning. Special guests, game recaps, team news. Get it all on sports on a Sunday morning. Sports on a Sunday morning. A St. Louis tradition. Sundays at 10 on KMOX. 
Back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Ken's yard. Hi, Ken. Hello, Mike. Hi. Thank you for your show. Sure. Three questions. Um, I'm noticing wild onions in the yard this year. Right. Uh, but a different variety than I normally see. Ooh. Um, normally, anyhow, what's the best way to get rid of those? Basically, uh, again, like I was telling the lady last hour, go out there with Roundup and paint them right on the foliage. That way you won't damage any of the lawn if they're growing in lawn or a bed space. Okay. Um, tree questions. I've got a bunch of suckers and shoots uh, growing out of the bases of my trees. Can I go ahead and get after those now? Yeah, sure. Yeah, some of the varieties, depending upon what type it is, you know, that's kind of a natural habit that they do, but you can still cut them off. Just make sure that when you make a cut that you don't leave any kind of like three or four inch stem. Cut it all the way close to the as close to the trunk or ground as you possibly can. Okay. And then the third question is, um, I planted 45 trees out here. I've been watering them with a bucket with a little hole in it, but they're getting bigger. Should I move out to the edge of the mound, uh, drill a two inch hole in the ground and then let that water run into it. So it tries to get a little deeper. Uh, probably how big are they right now? Uh, 12, 15 feet. Oh, a couple inches, three inches in <laughs> diameter. <laughs> Yeah, you should probably, you know, but they probably, they may not need any. What kind of trees are they? Let me put it that way. A variety, oaks, uh, fruit trees, magnolias, pecans. Whoa. I planted a variety. Okay. I would say, you know, unless we have an extreme period of drought, so in other words, more than like two or three weeks with no rainfall, I would think you don't need to do any additional watering. Okay, it's nice you to let me off the hook. Chasing those, well, chasing those trees around with my buckets, I've got to make a long day. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, if they're that size and they're, you know, they have a well-established root system, I don't think you have to do any additional watering at all. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go over to Margie. Hi, Margie. Hello. Hi. Sorry, hold on. Sorry. Um. When the gentleman called in earlier about the squash bugs, uh-huh. um, the only success I've had with that is to use a cloth cover like a remay, um, because otherwise I don't end up getting any zucchini. So I make like a little tent out of the remay cloth, oh. um, and then I put it. Uh, first of all, before I plant my squash, I dig up all the land, the area around it, and if there are any pupa of anything, I get rid of those. Right, and then. Um, I kind of bury the edge. I make like a wooden frame, and then I use like um, PVC pipe that's flexible. There's like a blue color. I don't know exactly what that is. And I make like a little tent out of it, and I put the remay over the top. And then if it's a bush-type zucchini, I just kind of put bricks around the edge so it holds that down tight. Right. And then those squash vine borers and squash bugs, uh, the stink bugs, can't get in to get my zucchini plant. Wow. Good idea. You have to make it pretty big so the zucchini has room, but... Exactly. And, I mean, the engineering factor, it's probably, you know, he's going to have to fool around with it for maybe one or two seasons to get it to right size and everything else, but it sounds like you got it down pat. Usually, sometimes they still get in, but at least I get some zucchini done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. Well, thanks for the insight. Sure. And now let's go from uh, Margie's over to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. 
Hi, Mike. Uh, you are correct that uh, monarch butterflies enjoy other uh, flowers other than uh, milkweed. Zinnias are fantastic. They really feed heavily on those. Right. But if you really want to be a friend to the monarch butterfly, you need to plant milkweed. There's the common milkweed. My husband and I have had great success with the swamp milkweed. Mm. And the swamp milkweed and common milkweed are both tall. But the butterflies will come to that. But one that might be a little bit better for most of the home gardens is the butterfly milkweed. It is orange. And uh, the uh, orange butterfly weed, uh, you have to have milkweed in order to help the monarchs complete their life cycle. Right. Yes, monarchs will feed on zinnias, uh, golden uh, marigolds and other things, but the only thing that their babies, the caterpillars or larvae, can eat are leaves of uh, leaves and flower of the milkweed plant. Mm. Uh, my husband and I have raised monarchs here in our yard a number of years, and uh, we have had some just fascinating experiences with them. You can get some of the uh, milkweed plants at uh, uh, a nursery down uh, on, I believe it's just off Darty Ferry Road in Barrett Station or so. Anyway, uh, feed not only the monarch butterflies themselves, but look for their larvae, the caterpillars. Right. And don't go squashing those butter, uh, those uh, larvae just because you see holes in your leaves. Those are, they, they have to eat the leaves or the flowers in order to uh, develop into chrysalises and then emerge as a butterfly. And you can get lots of great information by coming to garden club uh, meetings. And uh, if you want to know if a good garden club, Four Winds is excellent. And we are uh, moving around different places. But uh, come, come visit the garden clubs and buy, grow native plants. Great. Well, thanks for the insight. I mean, it sounds like you've really done some uh, good research and had great success with it. Well, thank you for your service, Mike. Well, thank you for uh, calling in and offering that information for people. But uh, it sounds perfect. So now let's go to uh, Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. How are you? Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. Yeah, she stole my thunder on the uh, monarch butterflies. <laughs> I plant the uh, swamp milkweed, and uh, that's the only plant that the, that they'll lay their eggs on and eat the leaves when they're you know when they hatch. When they hatch, right. yeah. And also with the swamp milkweed, at the end of the, they'll have a pod on there mm -hmm. that they'll grow, and before winter they'll turn brown their seeds in there, and you take those seeds out and you plant them in pots and they'll, they'll survive in the winter and then they'll start growing, you know, in the spring and then you can, you know, they're perennial. So they'll come back. Right. Also. Okay. And, uh, Lowe's has pansies. I bought a couple baskets last week. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and I got some butterfly bushes 
do I need to cut those back? They look dead. I, <laughs> I had them planted last week, last July, and they got a warranty on them, but I don't want to cut them back if they're dead. They look pretty much dead. I don't. I didn't know if I was supposed to cut those back and they grow back or what. No, they're fine. Uh, you know, and I would just leave them alone. And because, you know, anything that's been in the ground for less than two years, you want to have as many leaves on it as you possibly can because the leaves is what makes food. And consequently, right. by pruning them, you're reducing the amount of leaves. Consequently, then, you know, the acclimation of the root system, the stems, and, you know, further growth. Okay. So just kind of leave them alone. Now, of course, if they don't push out any foliage by the 1st of June or something, that means they're probably dead. But uh, okay. they're probably okay just as they are. Okay. And one other thing, uh, my daffodils are coming up. Um, and what type of fertilizer do you say to get that? Just a, just a regular flower? Yeah, basically, I just use different types. I use, you know, a miracle Grove more or less powder okay. that I just mix up in a bucket of water and just pour it on them. All right. Thanks for my show. We'll <laughs> Thank you for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Let's head over to Mike's yard and see what's going on. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. I have two questions. Uh, and I don't know if you can answer the first one. Carpenter bees keep coming back to my wooden back porch every year. Same location. Is there anything I can do to um, keep them away or take care of them? Yeah, I would say call a professional service, to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, my my other question is, I have a very small yard in Clayton and grow tomatoes in a, a little patch in the backyard. Um, and, and lately the yield is bad. Is it because I'm not rotating crops? Do I need to fertilize? Uh, what, do you have any suggestions? It could be variety-wise, but definitely fertilizing with tomato food is something that's really going to be essential. And I don't know, you know, what type you're growing, but uh, that's probably as much as anything. So you're growing the same type every year? No, not always. Okay. Uh, but, you know, frequently better boys, big boys, whatever I can get from the local nursery. Right. But... Um, uh, are yeah. there other crops that might do well in a in a small patch in the back that gets maybe six hours of sun a day? Uh, that's you know that's minimal as far as most of the edible type things. So I would say just stick with the tomatoes if that's something you really enjoy or like. And tomato food. Yeah, for the soil. tomato fertilizer specifically, and tomatoes too. Really like to they don't necessarily want to be in a swamp, but they like to be well watered. Um, I, I make a little compost heap out of uh, coffee grounds. Is that a reasonable thing to use on the soil, too? Uh, as long as you're blending it in, and, you know, that's right. the best thing you do. If you don't do that, uh, it's not really doing any good. It's probably doing more harm than good. Oh, I let it sit out, you know, all year long okay. and blend it in. Um, okay. Well, thank you for your help. Sure, and also maybe in the future, too, if you're serious about continuing on that spot, is get a soil test done. Maybe doing the same thing over and over and over again, you might have an exceptional amount or extravagant amount of some micronutrient or some nutrient or something like that, and that could be impacting your tomatoes as well. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's see what's going on in Scott's yard. Hi, Scott. Uh, good morning, Michael. I enjoy the show. Got a 
couple tiered questions. I would like to correlate, compost, and put a pre-emergent down. Um, is it fair that I would need to before I put the pre-emergent? I you you cut out there for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to I want to core aerate the spring. Right. I want to put com I want to put compost down, and I also want to put a pre-emergent to help with some crabgrass. Uh, do I need to do them in that order? In other words, do the pre-emergent after I've made the core, uh, core aeration. Definitely, because if you put the uh, pre-emergent down first and then use a core aeration, you're breaking the barrier that a pre-emergent creates. So you can't do that after, you know, that has to be the very last thing. Very good. And then, uh, of course, then no seed, uh, grass seed until the fall because the pre-emergent would thwart the grass growing. Exactly. Very good. Thank you so much. I appreciate your advice. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah. September is by really the, the best month for any kind of grass seeding at all. And so in springtime, the reason why it's become somewhat problematic is because the seed will germinate. Yes, blah, blah, blah. Everything's fine. But then it's, you know, the young grass plants are facing in the heat of our summertime. And if you're doing a cool season lawn, that's, you know, not so good for it. So that's why fall works better because then it gets to have the cool of fall and then wintertime. So that's a better time to do it. Now let's head over to George's yard. George, how are you? Good, Mike. How are you? Very good. Hey, um, I have daffodils up, and um, they haven't, you know, haven't bloomed yet. Right. They've got the buds. I covered them with buckets last night since it was out here in O'Fallon. It got really cold, you know, in the low teens. Should I leave the buckets on today and then overnight because it's going to be like in the 20s? Today? No, they should be fine. So I'll just leave, cut, pick the buckets up today? Right. Just, you know, let them, let them let's say, breathe and get some sun and everything else. Okay. I'll do that. Thanks. All right. Bye. And let's see if we can get to Barbie. Can you do it kind of quick? Yes. I have some sweet potato slips that I started back from a sprouted sweet potato in December, and they took off. Now I'm wondering how to keep them healthy. Should I keep I've got them in water now, but uh, or should I plant them in, like, containers, small containers in soil? Or which is the best way to clean them? Yeah, I would get them in a container, get them in some potting mix and grow them that way as opposed to leaving them in the water. Because the water, yes, you can germinate some root systems, but that root system may not be adequate to be able to be, you know, planted outside. Okay, so just put them in a smaller type flower pot, bunch of bunch them together in potting soil, you said? Yes, but no potting mix, not oh, potting mix. soil. Mix, okay. Right. And then when it's time to plant, I just take them out and pull them apart and... Right. Work okay. them apart, you know, so you don't tear up the root system a whole lot. Water first, then pull them apart, and then plant them in a good sunny location in a well-prepared garden space. Okay, and when they're in the soil now, should I have them in a sunny location in my sunroom, or should I just uh, leave them darker area? Or? No, 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 they should be in the sun. 
Thanks, Barb. Greatly appreciate it. And Jason, Paul, and Joyce, we're not going to have a chance to get to you today. But everybody, just get out there and enjoy the sunshine after a couple of gray days. And tomorrow, the temperatures. Yay! Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com.